The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 62, November 2023, Number 5. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Nancy Gahagan, Tom Hanold, and Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6200 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 155, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 518-906-1820 and choose option 8. Tune in to ACB Media at www.acbmedia.org or by calling 518-906-1820. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACB National or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ACBNATIONAL. Copyright 2023, American Council of the Blind. Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor. 225 Reinecker's Lane, Suite 660, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. This issue of the ACB Braille Forum is dedicated to the memory of Oral O. Miller. April 7, 1933 to August 6, 2023. Caption. Oral Miller examines a small gift box at the 1998 Miller Time Convention Banquet. Table of Contents In Memoriam, Oral O. Miller, April 7, 1933 to August 6, 2023. Oral O. Miller, Friend, Advocate, Sportsman by Charles D. Chuck Goldman Reader's Memories of Oral O. Miller Looking Ahead to Jacksonville, by Janet Dickelman. Summary of the August ACB Board of Directors Meeting, by Penny Reader. Summary of 2023 Resolutions. Raise your awareness, and tune in for the annual Audio Description Awards Gala, by Tabitha Kenlin. Benefits of Audio Description in Education, Beatty, Essay Contest Winners. Audio Description on the Hill. Why the CVTA Matters, by Tabitha Kenlin. Audio Description in the Federal Government, For the People, by Patrick Sheehan. Audio Description at Every Performance, by Joel Snyder, Ph.D. Recap of 2023 Audio Description Project Awards, by Jeff Tom. 
Affiliate News. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. Hi-Tech Swap Shop. Thanksgiving by Anthony Corona. Upcoming Forum Themes and Deadlines. January 2024, Braille, Reflections on 2023, Goal Setting for the New Year. Deadline November 20, 2023. February 2024, Accessible Voting, Civil Rights and Black History. Deadline December 22, 2023. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666 or via email, slovering at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. In Memoriam, Oral O. Miller, April 7, 1933 to August 6, 2023. Oral O. Miller, fourth president and former national representative and executive director of the American Council of the Blind, second president of the United States Association of Blind Athletes, passed away August 6, 2023. He was 90. Originally from Sophie, Carter County, Kentucky, Miller moved to Ashland at a young age. He was the third of four brothers and was the last living of the four. He lost his sight in an unfortunate accident when he was in the third grade. Following his recovery, he attended the Kentucky School for the Blind and Louisville Male High School. He graduated as a valedictorian in 1951. Miller became interested in sports while in high school, participating in wrestling and track and field. When he went on to Princeton University, he continued his interest in sports by joining the crew team. He wrote an article about the experience, which was published in the July 2005 ICEVI newsletter, The Educator. See tinyurl.com slash numeral 4 YZNE numerals 98F. In it, he stated, My most touching experience as an oarsman took place late in my senior year when I received the Biddle Award which is presented to the senior who, in the opinion of his fellow oarsmen, has contributed most to crew at Princeton that year. In my athletic life, I have been fortunate enough to win a number of honors, but the Biddle Award is among my most treasured. He went on to study law at the University of Chicago Law School, graduating in 1958. Two of his classmates were former presidential candidate Ralph Nader and former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Shortly afterward, he began practicing law under Claude Asbury, an attorney in Catlettsburg, Kentucky. Miller moved to Washington, D.C. in the late 1950s. After working with the U.S. Navy, Miller practiced with the U.S. Small Business Administration for 22 years. While in D.C., he became involved with local blind bowling leagues. In 1969, he was elected president of the American Blind Bowling Association. In the early 1970s, he was actively involved in Ski for Light, a cross-country skiing program for people who are blind and visually impaired. He also got involved with the American Council of the Blind and was active with the American Blind Lawyers Association, becoming president of the affiliate in 1976. Two years later, he was elected ACB president, serving until 1981. A few years later, he married Roberta A. Douglas. 
He continued his interest in sports by working with the United States Association of Blind Athletes, where he served as the organization's second president and the International Blind Sports Association. More recently, Miller was a member of a D.C. area rowing club called the Out of Sight Dragons. In 1984, Miller and then-President Grant Mack assisted with the merger of the World Council for the Welfare of the Blind and the International Federation of the Blind, now known as the World Blind Union. Miller served as chair of the WCWB Resolutions Committee and presented a paper on the right to access to information during one of the professional sessions. In 1986, he gave a series of lectures in Japan at the invitation of Mr. Masahiro Muratani of the Japanese National Council for the Welfare of the Blind. He visited Osaka, Kyoto, and Tokyo. During the late 80s, when ACB was in serious fiscal trouble, Oral voluntarily gave up his salary as national representative. He believed deeply in ACB's mission and demonstrated it on a daily basis. Miller retired from the American Council of the Blind in 1998. The organization's national convention was dubbed the Miller Time Convention. ACB's Board of Publications read a letter of commendation and presented him with a copy of The Wild West. At the banquet, Oral's cousin, Virginia Fouts, was the surprise guest, reminiscing on tape about their walk along the Great Wall of China. Janice Peterson kicked off the celebration with a song she'd written, Climbing the Ladder of Life. Then-Director of Governmental Affairs Julie Carroll told about how Oral gave everyone a nickname, from the staff to the guide dogs. She presented Oral with a beanie baby squirrel. Nolan Crabb, then the editor of the Braille Forum, presented his memories. A number of others spoke, sang, and shared their stories of time with Oral. Mark Reichert cracked the audience up with his lessons in voicemail. The biggest gift presented to Oral and Roberta that evening, a trip for two to Vienna and Salzburg, Austria, two concerts in Vienna, hotel, sightseeing, and meals, to depart December 28, 1998. In 2014, Oral Miller earned a Miguel Medal from the American Foundation for the Blind. He was preceded in death by his parents, brothers Glenn, George, and Charles, and his second wife, Roberta A. Douglas, 2003. He is survived by his first wife, Carol Gartrell, his nephews Robert, Bob Miller, Lloyd Miller, Clay Miller, Mark Miller, Charles P. Miller IV, cousin David Fouts, nieces Tammy McVeigh, Judy Williams, Kathy Feeney, Francis McKenney, stepchildren Jean Hevrilla, Lori Douglas, Ian Douglas, and George Douglas. Funeral services were held in August in Grayson, Kentucky, and a visitation in Arlington, Virginia. After the visitation, he was buried in Mount Olivet Cemetery in Frederick, Maryland, next to Roberta. The ACB Angels program is a powerful and personal way for ACB members and friends to honor departed loved ones and guide dogs who have been integral to the American Council of the Blind, its affiliates, and its members. If you wish to contribute toward making Oral an ACB Angel, please send an email to Colby Garrison at kgarrison at acb.org. Captions Oral Miller, pictured standing in a dark suit coat, white shirt, and red and gold striped tie, smiles for the camera. Photo taken circa 1980. 
Orwell Miller tries on Saudi Arabian headscarf, along with another delegate, to the joint meetings of the World Council for the Welfare of the Blind and the International Federation of the Blind. At this 1984 meeting, the groups merged to become the World Blind Union. Miller headed the Resolutions Committee. Orwell O. Miller, Friend, Advocate, Sportsman by Charles D. Chuck Goldman A few very fond and special memories of a special friend and giant advocate for persons with disabilities, especially persons with vision impairments, who I was privileged to know for more than 30 years. Above and beyond, he was class through, totally and thorough, a mensch, and the absolutely smartest man I ever met, bar none. 1. My former landlord, American Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities, had failed to pay rent and was being evicted. I reached out to everyone I knew. Oral and Roberta made space for me to rent on Vermont Avenue Northwest, saving me from being office homeless. 2. Oral and Roberta treated me like family, part of ACB, inviting me to all ACB parties, including a holiday dinner at their home in Northwest D.C., they were madly in love the whole time I knew them. 3. When my book, Disability Rights Guide, came out in 1989, Oral and Roberta had a book party for me in ACB's office. 4. I remember bowling with Oral in the basement of a George Washington University building. There was an issue, specifics long forgotten, involving blind bowlers. I had to join their group in order to represent them. Oral beat me by a boatload of pins. He could bowl as well as row, a passion about which he would wax poetic. 5. Another legally related thing. Orwell and I worked together to provide discounted consultation for ACB members. They got a little bit of free legal advice, which they might not otherwise have gotten. I deeply discounted the work when billing ACB and still managed in most months to cover my rent to ACB. Win-win. 6. Oral was politically savvy, not only on the Hill representing ACB, but also in protecting others. I was working on a piece that was very critical of certain specific sections in EEOC's forthcoming regulations, implementing Title I of the ADA. I had gotten a call from someone, a federal employee, who had the final regulations and was willing to violate various federal rules and practices and give me a copy. Oral insisted on sending someone from ACB who would anonymously put the final rules in a plain brown envelope on my desk. That way, I would be able to truthfully deny getting the final rule from a federal employee and not be culpable of any breach of federal law related to my getting them. Oral was a tireless advocate for blind and visually impaired persons. He never lost track of his priorities. He made the world a better place for blind and visually impaired persons. Oral was my friend and I was better for it. R.I.P., my friend. Caption Chuck Goldman looks up from perusing an issue of the Braille Forum and ponders ideas for his next column. Readers' Memories of Oral O. Miller Editor's Note Many of these were shared on the leadership list and or via email. Julie Carroll As a boss, Oral was easy to work for because there was never any doubt as to his priorities. The issue was always what would be best for blind people. It was never about national politics, organization competition, or monetizing opportunities. 
He just wanted to make it possible and accessible for blind and visually impaired people of all backgrounds and abilities to pursue their dreams and thrive. Oral's advocacy is likely what most of us in the blind and visually impaired community will remember about him. However, Oral should also be remembered for the positive effect he had on sighted people and their perceptions of blindness everywhere he went. Oral just naturally moved through the world in a friendly, dignified way, open to the curiosity of sighted people about blindness. He would always oblige their queries with respect and a dash of humor, leaving the inquirer lifted, enlightened, and with a more positive view of blindness. Oral left the world friendlier and more accessible for every blind person who comes behind him. Rest in peace, my friend and mentor. Don Horn I attended my first national convention in 1981. In that year, Oral ended his term as ACB president and began working as the organization's executive director, a position which he held for many years. Oral represented all of the very best of ACB. He believed in blind people and advocated for positive change. He believed that negotiation did not need to be contentious and that it should always start by finding common ground. He believed that everyone had a unique gift to offer that must be celebrated and cherished. As a leader, he saw his job as bringing out the very best in others rather than flaunting his power. I was thrilled to be in the room when he received the Miguel Medal, the highest award in the blindness field. By that time, cognitive difficulties were evident as he gave a rather long and rambling speech. As I listened, I kept thinking that many of the other people listening would never know just how deserving Oral was of receiving that honor. I am honored to have known him, and I hope I have lived up to his expectations of what I could become. If there is an afterlife, I hope he and Roberta are having a wonderful reunion with lots of love and laughter. Marjorie Beeman I first met Oral Miller in Austin, Texas at the ACB of Texas Convention in 1982 at the Austin Hotel, with Margaret Sanderfer as president. That was my first real experience with a state convention. Then that year I also went to the National ACB Convention and did Braille on the room doors and vending machines. If I ever felt like stopping making accessibility, Mr. Miller would not let me stop. We exchanged for years many Braille stories and notes. Mr. Miller could always find a blind person for me when I was traveling from state to state, bank to bank, to make ATMs accessible, to get the word out in the community, or doing Braille trails or Braille brochures and large print brochures for banks throughout the U.S. and other countries. What a great person to accomplish what he did and also help others, blind or not, accomplish. He was there to help all, always ending all with taxation without representation. Jeff Tom. I have never known a person who had the incredible combination of intelligence, talent in diverse areas, kindness, and humility that Oral had. Susan Thompson. Time sure passes. I met Oral on several occasions over the years, including him being so welcoming to myself and Michael Simpson, the president of Blind Citizens Australia, at my very first ACB convention in Los Angeles in 1999. It's hard to believe that's just over 24 years ago. I recall like it was yesterday, the blow Oral had with his wife Roberta's rapid death from what I understand was a nasty virus caught on an overseas trip they took together. In the early 2000s, Oral was in Australia. 
I am not sure if it was the 2000 Paralympics or another sports-related event. But I and a friend, Michael Simpson, who I was with at that convention, took him by train to a western suburb of Sydney to meet for dinner, when Earl had been so welcoming toward us. I was so keen to give him the experience of Sydney transport, but ended up showing him about Sydney train disruptions. This is sad news, but I'm glad to have spent some time with him. Steve Blow Shortly after I began my first year at Cornell Law School in August 1976, a classmate mentioned that he'd worked at the Federal Small Business Administration during the summer with a blind lawyer named Oral Miller. He gave me Oral's phone number, and I called him. Oral talked with me and introduced me to what was then called the American Blind Lawyers Association, now the American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys, and I joined as a student member. What a great man. Janet Dickelman. I can just hear him saying, land of taxation without representation. He always called me Janice Joplin Dickelman. Paul Edwards. As with Janet, I had a nickname. I was Pablo. Oral is an important part of our history, and his passing leaves a gap that cannot easily be filled. He was not only a president of ACB, but also worked as our national representative and executive director longer than anyone else has. I am not sure Oral was finding life much fun over the past couple of years. Now he is at peace. Jim Iraq. I've been with ACB so long that I remember when he was executive director and Leroy Saunders from Oklahoma was president. And if memory serves correctly, he was responsible for the implementation of the recreation zone at various national conventions. Karen Campbell. I likewise remember that time as 1993 was my first convention. I also remember 1998 when he retired as executive director. He was honored at the banquet that year and given many gifts. One was a gun, as I recall. We were in Orlando that year. Michael Byington. At the banquet Karen mentions, one of his gifts was a trip to Vienna, Austria. I remember contributing a can of Vienna sausages to the presentation. Oral was asked to taste what was in the can, and then guess what the gift was. Janice Peterson also wrote, played, and sang an original song about Oral, and she also accompanied me on a parody I wrote to the words of Big Bad John, and that I called Big Oral. I remember that they complimented him on many serious accomplishments, but also acknowledged his love of a good bourbon. Mark Reichert I remember that banquet well, too. I remember being very touched by the remarks offered by Nolan Crabb, with whom Oral enjoyed a deep friendship. I think Janice's song was entitled something like The Ladder of Life, and it would be very nice to see if we can find a recording of it and the rest of the evening. I also remember then-President Paul Edwards and Pam Shaw putting me up to doing a brief parody of Oral Miller teaching his staff, which included Yours Truly from fall of 1996 through spring of 1998, how to use the office voicemail system. People were kind enough to laugh, but it was so true. Oral had a meticulous and exhaustively methodical didactic side where he would literally tell you to first pick up the receiver from the phone, wait for a certain tone, press this button first, followed by the second button, and the third, and the fourth, and so on and so on. Instructions that even included being sure to pay careful attention to each voice message retrieved, and to take a few moments to consider whether taking down a note or two to capture the content of particulars in each message might have some utility. Mind you, 
All of these lessons on how to use the voicemail system were made available to the staff only within the voicemail system itself. LOL. Anyhow, Oral was so very gracious, but also so very clever and funny. When it came time for Oral to get up toward the end of the evening to offer remarks of his own and to thank each of the folks who participated that night, when he got to me, Oral remarked that I was a very good student of his voicemail tutorials, and that given the limits of my ability, he was nevertheless impressed that I eventually caught on after only 14 lessons. Touché, and so quick and fun. Oral, the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Jean Mann I met Oral back in the 70s at a bowling tournament. He was president of ACB at that time. He resigned the presidency to become ACB's national representative. The title of that job later was changed to executive director. I have lots of memories of Oral. He was a true ambassador. He'd strike up a conversation with anybody, no matter where he was. And I suspect he's already made new friends up there and has found his wife, Roberta Douglas, and many of his old friends. Joel Snyder. What a tremendous loss. Oral was a strong advocate for and user of audio description. He was a seasoned world traveler and quickly became an important resource to me as I would present on AD Abroad. A special memory. It was my great honor to provide audio description for him personally at Ed Walker's funeral here in the D.C. area. Rest in peace, Oral. Captions. Oral Miller speaks into a bullhorn at a rally advocating for the use of detectable warnings on metro rail platforms. Off to Oral's side is Jane Corona. Photo taken July 24, 1994. Roberta Douglas, Oral Miller, and Marjorie Beeman stand in front of the Vermont Avenue office, Suite 1100, circa 1986. Oral gets up from his chair, bright gift bag in hand, to give his remarks to the Miller Time Convention in 1998. He thanked everyone for the gifts and gave a farewell wave. Oral Miller and Roberta Douglas, seated at the head table during ACB's 1998 convention banquet, enjoy light conversation between the presentations. Looking Ahead to Jacksonville by Janet Dickelman as I write this article, the convention committee and the board of directors are heading to Jacksonville for the fall board meeting and hotel visit. Since I don't have a lot of information yet, this will be a short article. The hotel is the Hyatt Regency Riverfront Hotel, located at 225 East Coastline Drive in Jacksonville. Hotel restaurant information. There are four food venue options. 1. Market, grab-and-go, open 24-7, will also deliver to guest room. 2. Shore Grill. Serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Opens at 6.30 a.m. Breakfast runs from 6.30 to 11 a.m. Lunch is from 11 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Dinner runs from 5 to 10 p.m. 3. Tavern. Lounge. Service from 12.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. Cocktails and tavern menu. Morton's Steakhouse opens 4.30 p.m., closes at midnight. Morton's is a separate entity from the hotel. You cannot charge to your room. Hotel details. Convention dates in Jacksonville are Friday, July 5 through Friday, July 12. Room rates at the Hyatt are $99 per night plus tax. Reservation information will be posted when it becomes available. Staying in touch. 
the conference and convention announced list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention plus sign subscribe at acblists.org. If you received updates from the 2023 convention, you do not need to resubscribe. For any convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651-428-5059 or via email, janet.dickelman at gmail.com, j-a-n-e-t dot d-i-c-k-e-l-m-a-n at gmail.com. Summary of the August ACB Board of Directors Meeting by Penny Reader The ACB Board of Directors met virtually on August 15, 2023. You can access a podcast of the meeting at acbmedia.org. President Deb Cook-Lewis opened the meeting around 8 p.m. Eastern. All board members were present, as well as several staff members and convention coordinator Janet Dickelman. After the preliminaries, President Lewis and Executive Director Dan Spoon led the board in celebrating all of those who contributed to the success of this year's convention in Schaumburg, Illinois, including every ACB staff member, the convention steering and program committees, ACB members, volunteers from the Schaumburg area, the Illinois Host Committee, and many others. About 1,200 people registered for the convention, Deb said, and about half were in person, the other half virtual. Deb informed the board that she is still sorting through ACB's current committee structure, learning about the composition of the many committees, getting to know committee members and chairs better, and responding to individual requests for changes. The online listing of committee chairs and members will be updated by the end of September, and she expects that by next summer, ACB will have a formal committee application process in place. Many of our committees are holding periodic open meetings, where all ACB members are invited to come and learn what the committees are doing. She encouraged ACB members to look for announcements about these meetings and to come and learn what our committees do to find out whether they would like to join. Introducing the topic of whether ACB should be holding conventions in states where the political environment may reflect values that are incompatible with our organizational commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion, Deb said that she and other ACB officers have heard from a number of members who have expressed reservations about the wisdom of holding our 2024 convention in the state of Florida because of recently adopted state legislation and widely publicized rhetoric reflecting bias against members of LGBTQ plus and black and ethnically diverse communities. She said that callers and letter writers had expressed anxiety about gender bias and restroom usage, about abortion-related medication prohibitions, and safety for people of color. She said that there had been suggestions that ACB could be placing our members in harm's way by holding our convention in Jacksonville, and that some people have recommended that the board develop stronger policies regarding how our organizational values intersect with the process for selecting future convention venues. While some members believe ACB should cancel contracts with convention hotels in Florida and Texas because of their concerns about the safety of gender, racially, and ethnically diverse convention attendees, Many others felt strongly that the programmatically and fiscally responsible thing for ACB to do is to continue with our convention plans. The ACB Florida affiliate wants us to come, Deb said, 
and people have pointed out that ACB has held many conventions in controversial places at controversial times in the past. We cannot control what the environment will be like in any jurisdiction, especially since we make our convention arrangements ahead. Recognizing that the board had canceled contracts with convention hotels during the pandemic, Deb explained that the officially identified ongoing COVID-19 health crisis gave ACB the leverage we needed to cancel our conventions and negotiate with hotels under terms that were financially favorable to ACB. Our contract with the Jacksonville Hyatt Hotel is a direct result of those negotiations, which allowed ACB to cancel the convention which had been scheduled to occur in Phoenix. Now, the pandemic has officially been declared at an end. What that means to ACB is that if we cancel our contract with the Jacksonville Hyatt now, we will be penalized $387,000. Even if we choose not to go to Jacksonville, we will have to pay that amount to the hotel. Besides that, she added, there's the possibility that we would experience additional negative financial consequences due to sponsorship and other general convention revenue losses. If we were to cancel with the Dallas Hotel at this point, we would be penalized $250,000. In addition to considering the fiscal impact of canceling hotel contracts, she urged the board to think about the messages we would be sending to our donors and others. For example, would canceling our contracts with Jacksonville and Dallas jeopardize our ability to obtain future contracts or our ability to hold future in-person conventions at all? Following that introduction, the board discussed and ultimately unanimously adopted the following motion, put forth by second vice president Ray Campbell and seconded by immediate past president Kim Charlson. The ACB board of directors, having weighed both the concerns expressed by our membership and the fiscal and other implications to ACB, reaffirms the decision to move ahead with the 2024 conference and convention in Jacksonville, Florida, where we will gather to once again celebrate all people who are blind or have low vision from all backgrounds and walks of life. After the vote, Deb assured the group that she, Janet, and the convention committee will be reaching out to the various entities which will facilitate our convention in Jacksonville and bringing forward the issues that are concerning to our members. She expressed optimism about the hotel's willingness to provide a safe and welcoming environment, expects the airport to provide a safe and secure venue for all travelers, and that issues of concern will be important aspects of discussions with our tour venues. Janet and Deb will update the board regarding plans for our Jacksonville convention at the fall board meeting. As part of his executive director's report, Dan asked Clark Rockfall to highlight several achievements associated with many of ACB's ongoing advocacy goals that occurred during the celebrations of the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Clark affirmed ACB's appreciation of the Access Board's final release of the revised Public Rights-of-Way Accessibility Guidelines, PROWAG, to the Federal Register for final publication. In the same week, ACB was notified that the FCC has published the Video Conferencing Accessibility Guidelines Notice of Proposal Rulemaking, NPRM, in the Federal Register. ACB is working with the Audio Description Co-Chairs and the Sight and Sound Impaired, SASE, Committee to provide comments on the proposed guidelines. ACB was also notified by the Domestic Policy Council and the Department of Justice that the long-awaited Americans with Disabilities Act Title II Websites and Mobile Applications Accessibility, NPRM, was ready for publication in the Federal Register. During the week of July 26, 
ACB participated in several public events that were held in conjunction with these releases and the anniversary of the ADA, including an Access Board town hall meeting, a White House roundtable and listening session, and a listening roundtable with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, held in recognition of the ADA anniversary. Dan and Clark updated the board on ACB's communication with the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation Education Professionals, ACVREP, with respect to their development of a curriculum for certifying occupational therapists, OTs, in the field of vision services. Dan had shared a draft of the letter to ACVREP with the board prior to the meeting. After discussion, the board approved the letter, which expresses ACB's disappointment at not being included as a stakeholder in the process of defining standards for occupational therapists who, once certified, will be providing rehabilitation services to people who are blind and have low vision, and ACB's insistence on being part of the continuing process for developing standards for certifying OTs. Deb said that she expects ACVREP to respond to our letter with positive steps for including ACB and other blind and low vision stakeholders in their ongoing process for developing certification standards for occupational therapists, especially since she and Clark, as well as Dan and Kim Charlson, participated in ongoing and positive discussions with ACVREP personnel during the resolutions process prior to and during our convention general sessions. The board also voted to invest in a renewed effort by the VisionServe Alliance, VSA, and its partners to investigate the feasibility of successfully advocating for Medicare reimbursement for vision rehabilitation professionals who work with blind and low-vision individuals who qualify for Medicare health care coverage. ACB supported the Low Vision Medicare Demonstration Project, sponsored by VisionServe Alliance from 2003 to 2011, which led to the creation of CMS-approved codes associated with billing for specific low-vision and blindness-related services. When the project ended in 2011, no follow-up or expansion program was launched, but now many believe that the political environment may be more favorable for obtaining Medicare reimbursement for rehabilitation teachers, therapists, certified orientation and mobility specialists, and other professionals who work with older adults experiencing vision loss. Achieving this goal could significantly increase the number of certified professionals working in the field of blindness and low vision services, and more members of this vastly underserved population could then get the training they need to cope with vision loss and remain viable members of their communities. Observing that Durward K. McDaniel and other ACB leaders created the National Educational and Legal Defense Services Fund to support this kind of advocacy, Jeff Tom made a motion to withdraw $2,500 from the NELDS fund to assist VSA and our partners in a preliminary investigation of the advisability of pursuing CMS coverage for blindness services. Kim Charlson suggested that the amount be increased to $3,000. The board agreed and approved the withdrawal unanimously. Following a review of a proposed ranking of resolution priorities, which will guide ACB's advocacy and governmental affairs staff, committee, and affiliates work, the board approved the rankings. Prioritization allows us to consider what we are going to be able to do immediately compared to other results that may require longer-term, collaborative, or sustained effort. 
noting that ongoing advocacy to achieve the goals outlined and resolutions adopted in earlier years cannot cease when additional resolutions are added at the most recent convention. Deb said that, following the conclusion of each annual convention, and as staff and others meet to establish prioritization rankings, ACB will review where we are with respect to achieving the goals of resolutions adopted in prior years and determine which of them need to be carried forward so that, knowing how much is actually on our plate, we can be strategic about our planning and efficient with our resources. Clark reminded members that the Resolutions Index is now available online at www.acb.org resolutions index. The index is a very useful resource, he said, for retrieving specific information included in resolutions that ACB has adopted over the years. Final items on the meeting agenda included electing and approving nominations for several committees. Those elected to the Budget Committee were Kim Charlson, David Trott, and Jeff Tom. Deb nominated Katie Frederick to serve as chair of ACB's Public Awareness Steering Committee, and the board approved Katie's appointment unanimously. The board elected Ray Campbell, Michael Garrett, Doug Powell, and Gabriel Lopez Cafati to serve on the executive committee. The meeting adjourned immediately afterward. Summary of 2023 Resolutions Resolutions 2023-05 and 2023-08 were withdrawn. Resolution 2023-01 directs ACB to support the passage of H.R. 1328, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, and urges the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Food and Drug Administration to require that all exercise equipment and medical devices provide output of health data and other information in an accessible format. Also instructs ACB to urge exercise equipment manufacturers to enable such devices to provide information in an accessible manner. Resolution 2023-02 directs ACB to support legislation that would require all health care insurers to cover the cost of needles and other means of injecting insulin. Resolution 2023-03 instructs ACB to support the passage of any legislation that caps or reduces the cost of insulin for people with diabetes, also strongly encourages affiliates and members to contact their legislators to urge support of these bills. Resolution 2023-04 instructs ACB's Board of Directors to establish a policy for referring members at large to state and special interest affiliates by the opening date of the 2024 convention in Jacksonville, Florida. Resolution 2023-06 directs ACB to urge each affiliate to adopt a prohibited conduct policy and accompanying implementing procedures in order to enable affiliates to act upon complaints of prohibited conduct and send each affiliate a copy of this resolution with a link to the prohibited conduct policy. Resolution 2023-07 instructs ACB and the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss to work with the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition and other entities for the introduction and passage of Teddy Joy's Law and legislation that would amend the Older Americans Act to explicitly recognize seniors with vision loss as a group whose needs must be specifically addressed by allocations of OAA funds. Resolution 2023-09 directs ACB, in conjunction with the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, 
to request that the National Library Service undertake a study to explore the feasibility of making large print books available. ACB and CCLVI stand ready to work with NLS in this effort. NLS is encouraged to report on its progress at the 2024 ACB National Convention. Resolution 2023-10 directs ACB and the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, AAVL, to commend the Biden administration for including the $5 million increase in OIB funding in its proposed fiscal year 2024 budget, and asks that these organizations aggressively advocate with the appropriate congressional leaders and committees to secure inclusion of this proposed increase in the final fiscal year 2024 spending legislation. Resolution 2023-11 instructs ACB to urge the Rehabilitation Services Administration and the Office of Management and Budget to eliminate the prohibition against a state using federal and matching funds for the purchase of equipment valued at less than $1,000. Resolution 2023-12 encourages ACB affiliates to advocate for funding of professional visual interpretation services at the state level for people who are blind or who have low vision. Resolution 2023-13 directs ACB to initiate discussion with rideshare service providers to seek changes in the service platform that would allow passengers who are blind or have low vision to communicate their preferred language and to ensure that drivers who may take their ride requests are limited to those who speak the preferred language of the passenger who is blind or has low vision. Resolution 2023-14 directs ACB and Guide Dog Users Incorporated to request that the U.S. Department of Justice judiciously determine whether the ongoing lack of effective action by rideshare companies to prevent drivers from denying service to guide dog users equals a discriminatory pattern of practice, as defined under the ADA. Also urges the U.S. Department of Justice to take immediate action to address this ongoing pattern of illegal discrimination. Resolution 2023-15 instructs GDUI, ACB, and its officers, directors, and staff to advise the Department of Transportation that inconsistencies across the airline industry with regard to the content and implementation of the current attestation forms have meant that passengers with disabilities bear a burden that is unreasonable, and in some cases insurmountable, and recommends that the current attestation form requirements be rescinded. Resolution 2023-16 directs ACB's executive director to write a letter to the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals, ACVREP, with the board's approval, expressing our profound objection and disappointment that ACVREP is moving forward with the certification and training of occupational therapists, without having offered a formal invitation for ACB and all stakeholders to participate in their stakeholder listening process and calls upon the staff and board of ACVREP to formally act in meaningfully and engaging dialogue with ACB and all stakeholders in any further development of the new OT training and certification. Raise your awareness and tune in for the annual Audio Description Awards Gala by Tabitha Kenlon, Audio Description Project Coordinator. Welcome to the annual Audio Description Project, ADP, issue of the ACB Braille Forum. Most of the articles you'll find here are related to audio description, also known as AD, 
and the work of the ADP, which is an initiative of the American Council of the Blind. The ADP was founded by Dr. Joel Snyder, is chaired by Kim Charlson and Carl Richardson, and is maintained by numerous volunteers and consultants, as well as one full-time ACB staff member. Everyone involved in the ADP is committed to raising the awareness and availability of high-quality audio description throughout entertainment, information, and education. Anywhere you can find visual images, you should also be able to find audio description. AD is an important accessibility tool that helps improve the social inclusion of people who are blind or have low vision. In the articles that follow, you'll learn about some of the ADP's subcommittees and advocacy efforts, including the ADP Awards, which recognize achievement in audio description by individuals and organizations in the arts and public sector. The Benefits of Audio Description in Education, BADI, Essay Contest for Students. Legislation that has the potential to greatly increase the accessibility of audio description. How the Section 508 Committee is advocating for more AD within the public sector. And why reliable audio description is so vital to live theater performances. But before you start reading, mark your calendars so you don't miss the Audio Description Awards Gala. It will air on Tuesday, November 14, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a celebration of AD success stories, with awards for game changers in popular entertainment, video games, innovation, and many more. For the second year, we asked fans to vote for the AD they love the most, and this is when the results of the Audio Description People's Choice Awards will be announced. The entire show will also air with complete Spanish translation. Join a stellar group of entertainment professionals who are sighted, blind, or have low vision to applaud great audio description. While you're waiting for the 14th, enjoy reading about the ADP and visit our website, adp.acb.org, to learn even more. Benefits of Audio Description in Education, Beatty Essay Contest Winners. Every year, ACB's Audio Description Project, ADP, and our partner, the Described and Captioned Media Program, DCMP, co-sponsor the Beatty Contest, in which blind and visually impaired young people ages 7 to 21 watch an audio-described film of their choice and then write a 300-word evaluation of the film's audio description. Writers share specific ways the audio description enhanced or detracted from their experience with the film. Members of the Beatty Committee read all contest entries and choose first, second, and third place winners in four student age categories. The grand prize winner receives an iPad Mini, a gift card, and an invitation to read their review at the National Conference and Convention. Grand prize winner, May Lane Carnes. You know it's a great audio description when you have no recollection of it. Audio descriptions at their finest should fit perfectly in the cracks of a story so you can get swept up in the story without having to think of them as extra. Director Tim Burton's TV series Wednesday has clear, concise audio descriptions that give you the perfect amount of information given the time allotted. They paint a clear picture of what's going on, and they match the overall tone of the program. They fit perfectly in the cracks. At the same time, I wish they had had more time to talk about the visual nuances and storytelling Tim Burton is known for. One of the most appealing character traits of Wednesday Adams is that she maintains a Kubrick stare, a down-tilted head with eyes staring through the eyebrows, 
throughout the TV show. The amount of expression in her eyes alone is so subtle and detailed, and yet impactful, and I don't feel we got adequate access as a blind audience. There is also a lot of visual symbolism, clues, and red herrings supporting the murder mystery aspect of the show that I don't think we get access to either. I feel quite sad about that. This has become one of my favorite TV shows because of the access audio descriptions have provided. At the same time, I want access to the more artistic and visually nuanced elements sighted fans get to enjoy. Seniors First place, Jacqueline Campuzano Benitez. Second place, Caitlin Divis. Third place, Lynn Wu. Juniors First place, May Lane Carnes. Second place, Kai Teig. Third place, Landon Bryson. Alternate assessment. First place, Evan Landeros. Second place, Javier Ortega. Audio Description on the Hill, Why the CVTA Matters, by Tabitha Kenlin, Audio Description Project Coordinator. If there's one thing lovers of audio description, A.D., want the world to know, it's this. There is not enough audio description. What is audio description? Audio description brings to vivid life filmed content, theater, art, sports, and nature. Just a few words, well-chosen and beautifully spoken, can transform confusion into comprehension and comprehension into community. The social inclusion provided by the ability to participate in a broad range of activities is key to advancing disability rights. In 2010, the Audio Description Project began tracking the number of film and television titles available with audio description. At the time, there were 101 DVDs with audio description. Today, there are more than 10,000 titles with AD, thanks in large part to online streaming services like iTunes, Netflix, and Prime. While an increase from 101 to 10,000-plus is laudable, there remain additional thousands of hours of filmed content that are inaccessible to people who are blind or have low vision. The Communications, Video, and Technology Accessibility Act, CVTA, could help add a second 10,000 to our catalog faster than we accumulated the first. If the thought of bills, yawn, and politicians, cringe, puts you to sleep, do a little dance to wake up and keep reading, because it's legislation like this that can affect your daily life in tangible ways. First, we'll tell you three things you should know about the CVTA, and then we'll tell you how to contact your representatives so you can advocate for accessibility. We'll also provide some additional resources in case you'd like to know even more. Three Reasons to Love the CVTA the CVTA would strengthen the availability and reliability of audio description in multiple ways, but here's a sample. Expand the pass-through of audio description. If you live in Laredo, Texas, and your friend lives in Dallas, Texas, chances are your friend receives AD on broadcast channels and you don't, and under the current rules, you won't for another few years. Or maybe you do get AD, but because broadcast channels are only required to provide 87.5 hours of AD every quarter, your favorite shows have been neglected. The CVTA would require audio description for all broadcast, cable, and satellite channels throughout the country. Basically, all shows would have AD all the time, everywhere.
requires AD and AD tools for online content. While streaming services have led the way in providing audio description, significant gaps remain. The CVTA would require all video content delivered via the Internet to include audio description. Exemptions are possible for some carriers of user-generated content, but platforms would be required to make AD creation tools available to help users produce accessible videos. Makes the audio-described content easier to find. Having it is great, but what if you can't find it? The CVTA covers that too, requiring that audio-described content be identified by an audible tone and easily discovered on a variety of devices, from set-top boxes to tablets. Additionally, and you'll love this, audio description tracks would travel with content as it moves from one channel or streaming platform to another, so that if a film or show was available with AD once, it always will be. Now it's time to advocate for AD. The CVTA is not law, yet. Make your voice heard and help get the CVTA passed. Contact your senators and congressional representatives and tell them how important it is for you to be included in every aspect of life, from education to information to entertainment. Ask them to sign on as a co-sponsor and do everything they can to improve accessibility for their constituents. Find your representatives online or by phone. Search by state to contact your senators. www.senate.gov senators slash senators contact. Search by zip code to contact your representatives. www.house.gov slash representatives slash find your representative. Or call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. If you do contact Congress, please share your outreach experience with the ACB National Office by emailing advocacy at acb.org. Additional resources. The Audio Description Project, adp.acb.org. The CVTA, an ACB legislative imperative, acb.org slash cvta dash imperative. Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, www.cvtaaccess.org. Audio Description in the Federal Government for the People by Patrick Sheehan The requirement for audio description as part of Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 as amended has been a requirement for Federal Information Technology, IT, since 2001. However, within the past five years, Section 508 has finally hit its stride and promises to pick up the pace. In 2018, the technical standards that governed Section 508 were upgraded by incorporating the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG 2.0, into the existing standards. The effect was that in one fell swoop, the federal government had standards that were measurable, testable, and repeatable. The feds had joined the rest of the world in incorporating modern standards as part of Section 508. As part of this refresh, 
The multimedia requirements were modernized to include a more comprehensive closed captioning and audio description requirement that is comparable to what ACB strives for in commercial television and movie theaters. Over the last two years, the Section 508 Audio Description Subcommittee has furnished over 200 program managers a list of qualified vendors who can assist agencies with making their videos compliant. This resource took on new importance in 2023 when a new and improved government survey was developed by the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, U.S. Access Board, and the General Services Administration, GSA. One part of the survey was specific to audio description and asked agencies how many of their top five YouTube videos were described. Many agencies did not have the resources to check these videos for audio description or have the talent in-house to remediate them. The ADP Section 508 Subcommittee was pleased to provide them with this resource. In addition, the American Council of the Blind is working with the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals, ACVREP, to develop a formal certification process for audio description professionals. This certification would cover the AD competencies such as voice talent, writers, AD engineers, and quality assurance specialists. Over time, this certification would allow federal agencies to contract for certified professionals or train their in-house talent to fulfill some of these labor categories. This certification could also promote colleges and universities to offer this specialty as part of their media curriculum. Lastly, Congress is promoting legislation that would mandate that 508 program managers certify all information and communication technology, ICT, within their agency. This would include videos or any other media project that may need audio description. This new effort by Congress will undoubtedly put more emphasis on the creation of quality audio description in the government and help to develop the talent necessary to promote accessible, effective multimedia products. Audio Description at Every Performance by Joel Snyder, Ph.D., Founder, Senior Consultant, Audio Description Project. Author's Note Article adapted from a presentation at the 2023 LEAD Conference in Boston, Massachusetts, with Kim Charlson and Rod Latham. End of note. In 1981, a formal audio description service, the world's first, was begun under the leadership of a blind woman, Dr. Margaret Fansteel, at the Metropolitan Washington Ear, a radio reading service based in Washington, D.C. Radio reading services still exist throughout the United States with the participation of volunteer readers. I began working as a volunteer reader at the Ear in 1972 and was proud to be a founding member of its audio description service. Radio reading services are heavily dependent on volunteers, and the EARS Audio Description Service was also structured around voluntary contributions of time and effort.
cognizant of the limits on the times of people who often maintain full-time employment elsewhere, audio description was conceived as a service that would be offered at only two performances of a theatrical run, and preparation for the audio-described performances was based on the observation of only two or three performances early in the run. Even then, it was understood that optimally, audio description would be prepared with more in-depth observation of the theatrical event, even during rehearsals, and that audio description should be offered at every performance in the run of a show. But the limitation of the volunteer structure prohibited that arrangement. The proliferation of audio description for live theatrical events in the United States and elsewhere has been based on this volunteer limited preview to described performances model. So the current practice of offering AD at one or two performances in the run of a show was established over 40 years ago. It has never represented equity and, in my opinion, can no longer be tolerated. The belief often stated by the founders of that first A.D. service noted above was that the service must be offered to theaters for free or at absolutely minimal expense. If not, the theaters simply won't offer the service. My assertion is that access is not an add-on. It is a requirement and a necessary cost of doing business and must be practiced by professionals who are as committed to the success of every performance as each formal cast member. No one would think to ask a professional sign interpreter to provide sign language services at no cost. What to do? Let's take a lesson from the former Access Theater in Santa Barbara, California. Theater by the Blind, TBTB. Now theater breaking through barriers in New York City and an experiment by our own audio description project in conjunction with Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. Access Theater In the 1980s, Access Theater and Rod Latham in Santa Barbara, California, pioneered a system whereby an A.D. script is developed throughout the rehearsal process for a show in close consultation with the show's artistic staff, director, designers, performers. The AD is thus available at any and all public performances on demand at every performance with no advance notice required. A highlight from the show is the Burger King scene, tinyurl.com slash a-u-n numeral 8 m numeral 8 x-r. Theater by the Blind According to George Ashiotis, a blind man, one of the TBTB founders and a professional actor, A.D. is so important to the mission of TBTB that it must be a part of every performance of every show. Further, it needn't be an add-on. It should be an integral part of every script and a critical part of every director's concept. At TBTB, every production's planning and rehearsal process includes consideration of A.D. from the beginning. How can the A.D. be integrated within the production? Will we add a narrator character that propels the action and also provides cleverly crafted description of visual elements? Perhaps the script can be modified to include descriptive elements spoken by the various characters. In this way, the A.D. becomes an inclusive process, 
a part of a universal design concept, helpful and aesthetically viable for all audience members. Audio Description Project Arena Stage In 2014, with support from the DC Aid Association for the Blind, ACB's Audio Description Project proposed a more expansive audio description arrangement for two productions at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. We collaborated with Arena on an experiment. An audio describer, Joe Lynn Bailey-Page, attended rehearsals for each production, met with the stage director, actors, the designers, scenic, costumes, lighting, sound, and developed an audio description script throughout the three-week rehearsal period. The script was then available for that same describer to voice at every performance beginning with opening night and with, of course, an eye on stage action as changes could occur from performance to performance. The describer, essentially, was a cast member attending every rehearsal and performance. The arrangement had two benefits over the traditional model of audio description development for live performance. One, time was available to carefully observe the theatrical process and construct descriptive language that was more thorough and considered. And two, people desiring the service could attend any performance with no advance notice and be assured of access to the visual aspects of the production. Other innovations included braille and large print programs, models of the set, and props in the lobby, and a tactile scrapbook of costume pieces. It was gratifying to note that attendance for the productions by people using audio description tripled over levels experienced at Arena using the traditional volunteer model. I conclude this article with the thoughts of ACB members. In 2022, ACB adopted two resolutions which address the need for AD at every performance and or as an integral part of artistic presentations. Resolution 2022-26 Dates for Live Theater Presentations of Audio-Described Performances Whereas live audio description is essential for people who are blind or have low vision to comprehend settings, action, and other visual elements of theater performances, and whereas theaters providing live audio description often limit these performances to one or a few specified dates, and whereas discounted tickets are frequently offered on dates that do not include live audio description, and Whereas people who are blind or have low vision, like all theater goers, have work, family, and civic obligations that make attending performances on a specified date difficult or impossible. And whereas the Americans with Disabilities Act requires owners, operators, or lessees of public accommodations ensure that no individual with a disability is excluded, denied services, segregated or otherwise treated differently because of the absence of auxiliary aids and services, unless doing so would result in an undue burden. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the American Council of the Blind, in convention assembled on the 11th day of July 2022 at the CHI Health Center Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska, and on the Zoom platform, 
that this organization encourage all live theater providers to enable theater goers who are blind or have low vision to receive live audio description for all live performances, except when an undue burden can be demonstrated. Adopted. Denise Colley, Secretary. Resolution 2022-14, Equal Access to Live Theater. Whereas every live theater performance is inherently unique and live theater provides the ability of an actor to spontaneously respond to the energy of an audience and other performers, and whereas audio description is essential for theater goers who are blind or have low vision to be able to comprehend settings, action, and other visual elements of theater performances, and Whereas some theaters are choosing to provide pre-recorded descriptions that may not be accurately synchronized with the live performance and cannot possibly capture the nuances of live performance, and whereas Titles 2 and 3 of the Americans with Disabilities Act guarantee the right of people with disabilities to receive effective auxiliary aids and services unless doing so would constitute an undue burden, and Whereas this requirement applies to public and private theater owners, operators, or lessees, and whereas theaters and production companies may be unaware that recorded description cannot effectively communicate the visual elements of a live performance. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the American Council of the Blind in convention assembled on the 7th day of July 2022 at the CHI Health Center Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska that this organization strongly encourage and shall work to promote the use by theater companies of live audio description as the only effective means of communicating the visual elements to the blind theatergoer. Adopted. Denise Colley, Secretary. A final thought. A blind fellow visiting a museum with some friends was once asked, Excuse me, but what are you doing in a museum? You can't see any of the exhibits. His response? I'm here for the same reason anyone goes to a museum. I want to learn. I want to know and be a part of our culture. His inability to see shouldn't deny him access to our culture, and I believe it the responsibility of our arts institutions to be as inclusive as possible. It's all about access to our culture, and that is everyone's right. There simply is no good reason why a person with a particular disability must also be culturally disadvantaged. Moreover, the principal constituency for audio description in the United States has an unemployment rate of about 70%. I am certain that with more meaningful access to our culture and its resources, people become more informed, more engaged with society, and more engaging individuals, and perhaps more employable. Recap of 2023 Audio Description Project Awards by Jeff Tom. Each year at the ACB convention, the Audio Description Project, ADP, announces its annual award winners. These awards honor the people and organizations that make outstanding contributions to the quality, availability, and understanding of audio description. Selecting award winners is always a challenging process because of the quality of individuals involved in providing all of us with audio description. 
Thank you to all the members of the ADP Awards Subcommittee, ACB President Deb Cook-Lewis, Executive Director Dan Spoon, Kim Charlson, Carl Richardson, Joel Snyder, and Sean Barrett. With a special thank you to ADP Coordinator Tabitha Kenlin for all of her outstanding work. The winner of the Award for Achievement in Media by an individual was Deborah Erickson, founder of The Blind Kitchen, which provides accessible cooking tools and tips to help people who are blind or have low vision cook safely, independently, and confidently. By including audio description on The Blind Kitchen's videos, Chef Deborah helps to address the needs of our community. The winner of the Award for Achievement in Museums by an individual was Karen Bergman from the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. As Karen's nominator put it, her audio description of artworks at the Guggenheim is Candy for the Creative Soul. The winner in Achievement for Museums by an Organization was the North Carolina Museum of Art and its Sensory Journey Through Art program. The museum's amazing sensory journey includes both audio description and closed captioning. A special award for Achievement in Museums was presented to Dr. Michelle Edwards of the National Museum of African American History and Culture for her audio-described virtual living history tour programs called History Alive. The winner for achievement in the performing arts by an individual was Bonnie Barlow. Ms. Barlow has provided audio description for more than 2,450 live performances and consults with theaters across the country on establishing their own audio description programs. The winner for achievement in performing arts by an organization was the Smith Center for the Performing Arts, Las Vegas, Nevada, for its audio description of that theater's Broadway series. The winner of the Public Sector Award was the Space Telescope Science Institute. In 2022, that entity, which is a contractor with NASA, undertook a project to describe the universe using the data transmitted from the James Webb Telescope, including audio description of planetary objects, galaxies, and star clusters. This year's international award was presented to Movie Reading, an Italian organization which has developed a unique technology for bringing access to individual devices in any theater without any technological change. Last, but definitely not least, the winner of our final award, the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Career Achievement in Audio Description, was Dr. Joshua Mealy. Blind himself, Dr. Mealy has worked for many years to improve the availability and quality of audio description. Affiliate News HAB IRA Partnership the Hawaii Association of the Blind is excited to announce that effective September 15, 2023, we will be partnering with IRA to provide 12 months of unlimited call services at the Daniel K. Inoue International Airport to support Hawaii tourism for visitors and kama'aina alike who are blind or visually impaired. Founded in 2015, IRA is a live, human-to-human professional assistance service for the blind or visually impaired community. 
With real-time assistance, an IRA agent will help you navigate step-by-step with all of your airport needs. We hope to share the spirit of aloha with all of Hawaii. HAB joins fellow IRA Access partners Procter & Gamble, Google, McDonald's, Starbucks, and Target, along with 39 colleges and universities, and 48 airports worldwide, and counting. Join ACB Families and Win by Carla Rushevel. Fall is already here. The nights are getting cooler, and the leaves are changing color. The annual ACB Families Membership Drive is underway. Get in on the fun and have a chance to win prizes for the holidays. ACB Families is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. We hold two conference calls each month. One call lets us share tips and resources, discuss interesting topics, and enjoy informative speakers. Past calls have included budgeting ideas for stretching the family dollar, holiday gift ideas, fun and educational telephone apps and Alexa skills, resources for accessible books, and much more. Our other meeting of the month gives members a chance to participate in planning virtual activities and events. ACB Families presents exciting programs each year at the ACB Conference and Convention. We hold a virtual campfire complete with ghost stories, songs, and sometimes even a skit. We hold a family's breakfast with an outstanding program and a fun-filled in-person bingo with lots of prizes. No matter who you are or where you live, you can participate in ACB Families. Join by November 30 and have a chance to win a $25 Visa card, one of two $50 Visa cards, or a $75 Visa card. Winners will be drawn at our call on Sunday, December 3, 2023. Dues are just $8 a year. Pay by credit card by calling 502-897-1472 or make check payable to ACB Families and mail to ACB Families, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Keep up with what's happening in ACB Families. Join our email list by sending a blank message to families plus sign, subscribe at acblists.org. F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, plus sign, S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E, at acblists.org. Welcome to our ACB family. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. 2024 NBP Touch of Genius Prize 
The Touch of Genius Prize was developed to inspire entrepreneurs, educators, or inventors to continue the promotion of Braille and tactile literacy for blind and deafblind people worldwide. This prize can be granted for innovative and accessible computer software applications, tactile hardware, or curriculum that promotes Braille and or tactile literacy. The winner will receive up to $10,000, which will help them to continue to innovate in the fields of technology and education for the blind community. Applications are due on January 12, 2024. For more information or to apply, visit www.touchofgeniusprize.org, www.touchofgeniusprize.org. If you have any questions, send an email to geniusprize at nbp.org, G-E-N-I-U-S-P-R-I-Z-E at nbp.org. Books and more at National Braille Press. Now available is Sunday Morning Quotations, Volume 2. It contains 52 all-new memorable quotes in a spiral-bound, pocket-sized booklet. The booklet is available in Braille. Other quotation books available include, in limited quantities, Monday, Volume 2, Tuesday, Volume 2, Wednesday, Volume 2, Friday, Volume 2, and Saturday, Volume 2. NBP also offers a variety of print Braille magnets with quotations on them, including, I am never not thinking of you, Virginia Woolf. I'd like to be the sort of friend you've been to me, Edgar A. Guest. One loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives, Euripides. Friendship is when people know all about you but like you anyway, Anonymous. When I count my blessings, I count you twice, Irish Blessing. Friends are the family you choose for yourself, Unknown. New in the children's section is Dr. Seuss's unforgettable story, Horton Hears a Who. It's available in UEB for ages 4 to 7. Also available are My Braille Blocks, an educational kit that includes eight Braille blocks and an instructional pamphlet in large print Braille with activities for practicing Braille. The plastic blocks are 2.75 inches tall, 1.50 inches wide, with six adjustable pins representing the six dots of a Braille cell. For more information, call toll-free 800-548-7323 or 617-266-6160, extension 520, or visit shop.nbp.org. Overbrook elects Lyle Sign, President of Board of Trustees. ACB member Lyle Sign was recently elected President of Overbrook School for the Blinds Board of Trustees. This historic appointment makes Sign the first alumnus and visually impaired individual to hold this position, marking a significant milestone in the school's history. Sign, a distinguished advocate for the blind and visually impaired community, brings a wealth of experience and a deep connection to the school. As an alumnus, Sign has a profound understanding of the challenges faced by visually impaired individuals and possesses an unwavering commitment to ensuring that every student receives a quality education and support system. He has also been the alumni representative on the Board of Trustees for the past five years. As president of the Board of Trustees, Sign will be responsible for providing strategic guidance, fostering partnerships, and championing the interests of the school and its community. His invaluable perspective and deep understanding of the challenges faced by visually impaired individuals 
will play a crucial role in shaping the school's policies and initiatives, ensuring that they remain at the forefront of providing exceptional education and support services. New Commissioner in Massachusetts Secretary of Health and Human Services Kate Walsh announced that John Oliveira, who has served as acting commissioner of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, MCB, since April, has been appointed to the role of commissioner effective immediately. Oliveira has held numerous roles at MCB since joining in 1987, including 10 years as deputy commissioner before his appointment as acting commissioner. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale, two eSight Vision Systems. Dale has both versions 1 and 2 of the eyewear. The firmware for both systems is up to date. Contact Dale Peterson via email. B-U-C-K-Y P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N at gmail.com or call him at 850-322-0985. Looking for Victor Reader Stream, second generation. Must have all accessories. If you have one you aren't using or would like to donate one, contact Ronnie Palmer at 615-765-7375. Thanksgiving by Anthony Corona. I can almost smell the pies baking, feel the heat of the oven radiating through the kitchen and wafting through the house. I can see the beautifully appointed table in my mind, and of course I can taste the dark and white meat. I can hear the cheering of the big game from the family room and kiddos playing with the dogs and counting the minutes until they get their pie and ice cream. Thanksgiving has always been a holiday for gathering and sharing a time to reflect and give thanks for bounty and life. It's a holiday that can bring us all together in love and celebration. This year, as I ponder my thankful list, I remember those days past and those gone to a better place. I peruse my mind and feelings to lift and celebrate all the blessings I have been given. I remember my parents and other loved ones who made Thanksgiving's past so memorable. I list the many ways my partner and our doggy family have changed me for the better. I celebrate friends who make me smile, think, and even drive me a little crazy, lol. I also charge myself to remember I am blessed, and some may not be so. I charge myself to reach out to those in my life who may not have the memories of bounty, who may not have a celebration to attend. I charge myself this season to reach out and share my love with the people in my life, both on the personal and the global. As we all give thanks this season, let us remember we are all blessed to have each other and the opportunity to carve another bird and slice another pie. This year, along with giving thanks, I charge my ACB brothers, sisters, and non-binary siblings to not only give thanks and share the bounty around your tables, but to share the blessings with those around you who may not be as fortunate. I implore each of us to remember the spirit of this season and spread it around. The more love in this world, the better off we all will be. And please indulge me as I thank each and every one who is reading this for your commitment to our organization and community. I am thankful for you all. Happy Thanksgiving. How to Submit Articles to the Forum If you wish to submit an article to the ACB Braille Forum, please send it via email to slovering at acb.org as part of the message or attached as a Word or ASCII text file. 
Articles should be between 500 and 800 words. Language should be family-friendly. Longer articles may be divided into two or more parts. ACB Officers President Deb Cook-Lewis, First Term, 2025 1131 Liberty Drive, Clarkston, Washington, 99403 First Vice President David Trott, First Term, 2025 1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160 Second Vice President Ray Campbell, First Term, 2025 216 Prestwick Road, Springfield, Illinois, 62702-3330. Secretary, Denise Colley. Final term, 2025. 26131 Travis Brook Drive, Richmond, Texas, 77406-3990. Treasurer, Michael Garrett. First term, 2025. 7806 Chaseway Drive, Missouri City, Texas, 77489-2333. Immediate Past President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors. Christopher Bell, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, first term, 2024. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, first term, 2024. Gabriel Lopez Cafati, Miami Lakes, Florida, first term, 2026. Cecily Laney Nipper, Covington, Georgia, partial term, 2024. Terry Pacheco, Silver Spring, Maryland, first term, 2026. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term, 2024. Rachel Schroeder, Springfield, Illinois, first term, 2026. Kenneth Semyon Sr., Beaumont, Texas, first term, 2024. Connie Sims, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, first term, 2026. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, second term, 2026. ACB Board of Publications. Penny Reader, Chair, Montgomery Village, Maryland, Third term, 2025. Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, partial term, 2024. Cheryl Cummings, Seattle, Washington, second term, 2025. Zelda Gebhard, Edgeley, North Dakota, second term, 2024. Cache Wells, Jacksonville, Florida, first term, 2024. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the webpage in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 518-906-1820. To subscribe to the email version, contact Sharon Lovering, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G, at acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail, in Braille, large print, and LS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 518-906-1820. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from https colon slash slash pinecast.com slash feed slash acb dash braille 
dash forum dash and dash e dash forum.